Hello and welcome to Ideas Don't Bleed, a comics podcast presented by Ashcan Press and featuring Matthew Brosenberg and the Supple Boys, Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan. This is part two of our discussion with Philip Kennedy Johnson. We hope you enjoy. I feel like when we first met, you were doing Boom stuff. You mm-hmm. were doing books at Boom. You were doing uh, Last Sons of America, and Warlords of Appalachia, right? That's yeah. That's sort of that's your start, right? Right about yeah. I mean, yeah, well, other than the webcomic. Yeah, yeah, those two were my first book for sure. Um, and I'm sort of fascinated. Your first books are both sort of dystopian, post-apocalyptic stuff. Um, yeah, like the <laughs> dystopian um, uh, criticisms of America. Yeah, just I mean dystopian Americana. <laughs> yeah. Like I think, which is which is something that I am drawn to a lot. Also, like, um, and and I guess this is my way of interrogating myself, but without having to actually do the hard work. Like, what is it about those that, that draw you in? Like, why those, why were those the books that like, when you came out of the gate, you were like, this is the stuff I want to explore. This is the stuff I want to play with. It just speaks to me. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like people that love that stuff on some level, (laughs) this is super fucked up (laughs) on, on, on some level people kind of want it to happen uh-huh mm, yeah um i mean the last of us okay yeah mm-hmm. hellscape of a story sure just mm-hmm. just a just an emotional beating yeah um but um the world is beautiful too yeah and there's mm-hmm. not there's like people are gone for the most part except for us yeah. <laughs> you know like we made it and others didn't and we you know we're still okay and you know, life has just gotten back to basics and there's no, there's no Twitter. Yeah. There's no, there's no, you know, there's no identity theft. Yeah. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's no, you know, like all the, the crappy, like none, none of the, like the mundane um, hassle kind of things. And it's just back to basics. You're finding food, you're living your life, things are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. even the danger that you face is real and tangible. And um I, I- I always think about the the I am the Will Smith I am Legend movie where yeah. like it's a nightmare world and it's horrible and there's these vampire monsters and then he lives in this beautiful town like multi million dollar townhouse on Washington Square Park because everyone <laughs> yeah, is like, dead right, and I was he's got the sports car and all that. yeah and he's got yeah he's got an amazing sports car and he's got like you know amazing museum pieces hanging in his house because he went and took them and hung them in his like you know five right. ten million dollar brownstone and like I was like. I understand that this is dystopian, but like, if you're a New Yorker, this is like such a fantasy to be it's like, kind of yeah, it's right. like, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> not like, you know, oh, could I live in the best place in New York and it's not crowded and I can afford it and I don't have to worry about it? And I was like, there's a funny dichotomy to that, but like hearing you be like, well, some people fantasize about, you know, people fantasize about it, mm. and it is fascinating to be like dystopian post-apocalyptic stuff is also wish fulfillment in some way, you know, is like uh aspirational yeah. it, it's something that i feel like people don't touch on enough but like there is yeah. that element to it that i think is really fascinating 
Yeah. I mean, the ones I, I can't say that it applies to the ones that I wrote, like Last Sons of America is not it's not a depopulated world. It's, it's very different. Yeah. It's like it's it is purely worse than than the world we're in now. But it's a it's a way of exploring an idea. Like I sure. was at the time, it's just things that were going through my mind at the time um just kind of percolated and became became what they became. Like I um there were there had been this like Last Sons of America, uh, when I was trying to figure out that particular story. I just kind of it just kind of came along. It, there was a uh, in t- 2010 there was a big earthquake in Haiti and it became mm-hmm. this um, um, humanitarian crisis. Yeah. And because I mean just because they didn't have the same kind of infrastructure that we have here, so a lot of families couldn't find each other and they're just really rough. And there was this um, American church group that went down there mm-hmm. and to and started gathering up kids. Uh, ostensibly to to take them back to the states to be who, kids who had been orphaned. Yeah. Try try to bring them back to the states and get them adopted. Mm-hmm. But they were taking kids that still had families in some cases. Yeah. Um. And it turned and then it kind of shed a light on on this whole thing. And I I started I was doing a lot of anti human trafficking um, mm-hmm. volunteer work at that time. And I thought I kind of knew it all. And I that, then I, I didn't really I didn't really know anything about the for profit adoption industry. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of sent me down a rabbit hole of all that. And mm-hmm. plus at the time, um, my my wife and I at the time were trying to get pregnant and it looked like it was looking like it wasn't gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Um and all these ideas kind of came together in my mind and just kind of envisioned a world in which um Americans couldn't have kids anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could in other places and it how it made human trafficking legit, basically, globally. And yeah. uh, just make kids become like money. And so mm-hmm. the, the the dystopian thing kind of became the vehicle to explore things that I cared about very deeply. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, basically it's like the, the dystopian stuff is kind of this big, what if scenario, like what if this happened? And very often the end road of these, of these, what if scenarios are a world that is broken in some fundamental way. Mm-hmm. Um, Warlords of Appalachia. That was, I wrote that during the 2016, you know, election run up. Mm-hmm. And it was all about um, political divisions that were tearing up the country. Like that first issue came out in October 2016. <laughs> yeah, well timed. And, and it was a it was a world in which it, it took place after the second American Civil War, mm-hmm. and Kentucky had become an occupied nation within U.S. borders. Yeah, like the, the Afghanistan, the American South. Um, and there's a super Trumpy character in it that is at the time the president, and um. You know, there was a big war and the fallout of his winning and Kentucky is the last of the holdouts that won't support him. And so now it's like occupied by U.S. government and, um, you know, very different kind of thing, but still just kind of a a, a, um, a study in another way in which we were failing. Yeah, yeah. Was that with that book? Was there anything in there that like as the events of 2016 and onward played out that you wished you could go back into another draft of that book just to incorporate some more of what was going on? Or were you pretty happy with how that landed? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I felt kind of guilty. Like it's almost like everything happened. I, I mean, at the time, no one really expected Trump to win. Right. Yeah. yeah. When I was when I was reading it. And then when it all came out. I, I wrote a forward at the end. It changed the ending. Like there was a, mm-hmm. the, the ending, like there's like this little monologue by the main character in the end where he spoke directly to the Trump guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this place ain't yours, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, um, and then like my, my afterward at the end of the book was very much a response to that. What I would like to do is write a sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> have it, having take, that's something that takes place later. And like, because now everything happened I, after January 6th and this, you know, another election. Mm-hmm. I think it would be great to do another another volume of that. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I'm sort of curious, and it's, 
you know, maybe a question that I wouldn't ask other people, other writers, but I, I, I find you a fascinating person because obviously, you know, you're in the army, you have this sense of, of, I must, I'm going to assume a sense of civic duty and, and patriotism mm -hmm. and all, all these things. And then you're writing these dystopian stories and these, uh, and even in your other work there that are, that are very uh, topical. You're writing stuff that feels topical. And, and I'm sort of wondering, you're doing a lot of commentary on things and, and I'm sort of wondering what you feel like the writers go like a writer's your goal personally, or a writer's responsibility in the 21st century is like, do you feel like those are things that that weigh on you when you sit down to write a script? You are those things you think about, like, these are ideas I have to put out in the world, or these are, you know, this is what I have to do, or this is my job, or this is what I should be doing. Or, does any of that play into it? Or are you just doing what comes to you? Um, man, it's somewhere in between. I don't know. It's not like I, I don't set out to like, with the, the War World Saga that we did on Action Comics, mm -hmm. that was not, I was not trying to set out to make a, a, a work of propaganda. Sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> the, there were things that I ended up, things came into that story that, um, that I didn't realize I was doing at the time. There's mm -hmm. things I cared about, about very deeply. That's, that is a story about human trafficking. Mm -hmm. and um mm -hmm. and about the the dangers of hero worship and politics and like propaganda and all that stuff like those things that just kind of everything that sort of is just swirling around in my head all the time just find their way into the story unbidden you know so mm -hmm. i do i will say as far as what i'm consciously doing i'm i i refuse to ever do just the the meaningless beat em up kind of mm -hmm. kind of story um like i'm, I'm not going to show hulk just kicking the shit out of some other monster just for no reason just for the visual spectacle of it it needs to yeah. be there needs to be a point to it you know yeah Sorry, i think I, I think most writers these days are looking for something like that like what is this about at its core and not about the characters but like what's under what's the yeah the the kernel of theme underneath the whole thing like what is this really about and having that thing no matter what it is it could be about what a shoe shopping whatever but as long as it's the the thing that is driving the whole story forward it just gives like this this unifying um momentum that that makes the whole thing feel more mature yeah you know? i just i want to do the smart version of the thing i try to i try to tell stories about things that matter deeply to me mm -hmm. and just, I, I just kind of dress them up in comic booky ways yeah um and it, i find that it makes the work feel more meaningful mm -hmm. um the most the most obvious example in war world saga will be the fact that um when when so he, uh, superman discovers that there are that the, that the civilization on Warworld, under this new Mongol, the people who are up there are all enslaved to him, even though the war zones are enslaved. Like everyone there is a slave except Mongol himself. And he goes up there and he finds that everyone wears this chain on their around their wrists. And um, each link of the chain represents one victory, like someone you've killed. Mm -hmm. And as you defeat more and more people, your reach grows. And mm -hmm. you're you're trusted with a greater weight. I mean, it means you're strong and you can do it. And your reach grows. And then when you get really badass, you got your your chain is wrapped around both forearms, and you got this like just really awesome thing to show. And your their chain becomes a status symbol. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they will fight tooth and nail to defend it. Like Superman goes up there to, to break those chains and to free everyone, and they're like, "Fuck you! This is mine." Yeah. Um, and Mongol has come up with this whole cult of personality where they've, they've kind of just kind of tricked them into 
value in their their chain over everything. And that's straight. And I, I swear to you, I did not really understand what I was doing at the time. But looking back, that is exactly how human trafficking victims are. Mm-hmm. Where they're well, I'm speaking specifically um, like sex trafficking, but people yeah. that that I've met in Baltimore, mm-hmm. um, where they were trafficked when they're very young. Like, but they don't think they have a pimp. They think they have a boyfriend. They think mm-hmm. they've been, you know, found and groomed and raised. And um, they just think once they get enough money that, you know, they're finally going to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're just out there working and all the money goes to the guy and, you know, he keeps them strung out. And mm-hmm. um, they've lost, by the time I have ever met them, they've lost everything they ever had. The only thing they have is a relationship with their pimp. And they will, yeah. like, if you try to take that away, they will kill you to defend yeah. it. Like all they all they care about is that pimp. Yeah, um, and that's what War World Song is about. Hmm. The uh, like, how do you save somebody who doesn't want to be saved? Like that's yeah. that's the big challenge of that story. And like there was there was this one victim that I'd found, and this particular one, she had already made it out when I met her. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, if the what was it? She said exactly, if the police had kicked in the door, put a gun to my trafficker's head, and asked me, "Are you being trafficked?" I would have said no. Mm-hmm. And I just like flipped the table. I'm like, well, what the fuck are we doing this for? Like, if, if they don't want us here, like, what are we, how are we supposed to even do any of this? Yeah. And it's just slow, tedious, like apparently meaningless work that goes on for years and years. And it just, mm-hmm. it just breaks people even trying to find these people. It's yeah. just really hard work. So that's, that's what the story ended up being about. And I, that's, uh, I mean, not every story I write is about that, of course, but I, I try to write stories about things that really matter to me. There's, you're going to see, uh, underlying themes and Hulk too. That things mm-hmm. really matter. There's a, it's uh, the the name of this first arc is Age of Monsters, mm-hmm. and um, I'm I'm creating a lot of monsters for the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to see one in issues two and three. That's a very clear um, send up of uh, religion. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one coming up soon with um, uh, there's a a creature that is like a an, an analog for PTSD kind of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's I try to find things that, that really matter and, and make those the themes of the stories so that people feel like you can't just say like world talk you can't just say slavery is bad yeah mm-hmm. you know don't don't be a slaver don't be a trafficker everyone knows that everyone knows no one must be talked down to or feel like they're being preached to yeah mm-hmm. but if you can make them feel it without saying it like that's that's what I'm trying to do when I'm writing these, these things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm curious then, like you're talking about these themes and, and this stuff and uh, you had a, you had a, a long run on, on James Bond. You did a bunch of Bond stuff. Um, Bond is a character that fascinates me because, I mean, I love the movies and, 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 the, and the books. I was, I was fascinated by the books as a kid and, and like, you know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the movies, but it is also a fascinating thing to watch because as we get into the 21st century and they're making, you know, the Daniel Craig movies are sort of facing the fact that like, there are some concepts that are in the James Bond universe that are not necessarily the most progressive ideas for the 21st century. There, there are some very regressive, (laughs) harmful things. And like, how dare you? (laughs) and, and, And like, you know, you can watch the old movies, you can watch Sean Connery and, and Roger Moore and all them and be like, well, they're of their time in a exactly. way. Exactly. That's the and, thing. And but also there's some stuff in there that I think is like, well, it's worth embracing, even if it's destructive, like it, even if, if it's bad, like we don't necessarily have to 
put the character on a pedestal always and be like, he's an all around good guy. Like he's maybe not an all around good guy, yeah. uh, but he's a force of good in the world, even if he's not. I'm wondering sort of how you approach James Bond in the 21st, like how, how you, you took it in. It's such a complicated character, I think, for the modern age. Like what was he your is. thought process on it? A lot of that was my own question. I had those questions too when I took the gig. Um, they were very clear, like, okay, so this is a this is a modern day interpretation of the original like novelization of Bond, not the films. I was like, well, how's that going to work? Like, he's in the original stories, he's an unapologetic, sexist, racist, misogynist, yeah, um, alcoholic, just all around bad person. Yeah, and like in pretty much every way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, how are we gonna how are we gonna make this work? And um, and that was really a question to myself. I was like, how am I going to make this work? Because I kind of want to do it. Um, there was a line in the one of the – actually, I'm not sure if this is from one of Fleming's books or if it was one of the more recent ones. But it was a line that said um, he described he described a woman in scene as five years his junior and ten years too old or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. And I was like – <laughs> And I was like, maybe, like, what if we, what if we turn that on its head and we introduce a, a Bond girl that's like his age, maybe a little older? Uh -huh. And what if um, <clears throat> some things he just got to change? Like, he's not going to like the way in the in those early books when he's describing, and like, if a, if a character walks into the room, his his inner monologue, he describes them by that character's perceived ethnicity. Mm -hmm. Like he'll like somebody walks in and he describes him as a broad-shouldered Swede or a yeah. like a, a, a scheming Jew or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what are you supposed to do with this? So uh, I mean, there's some stuff where you just got to change it, and not even ask questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, and even the stuff, with, but I mean, the thing, the one like staple of who he is is um, he sees himself as a blunt instrument. Mm -hmm. And he he described himself that way sometimes. He's a he sees himself as like a blue collar killer, who just does does the job, doesn't feel any particular way about it. He's always telling himself he doesn't really care about killing, and it doesn't mean anything to him, even if it even if his actions his reactions to things kind of belie that. Mm -hmm. um, he he claims that he's unbothered by murder, yeah. And um and that is what I really kind of hung the hat of the character on. Like he sees himself as a guy that just kind of just doing his job, and um. I use the particular story that we're telling as uh, an examination of of a patriotism. Mm -hmm. So once again, I have found a story that I that I think about a lot because I, I consider myself a patriot, and now there's people running around that call themselves that. Mm -hmm. That it doesn't mean what it should. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean what it used to. And something in some cases become literal fucking Nazis. Yeah, that's that put like American patriot on their social media, and then they they go off and they wear, you know, they hang a Confederate flag from their truck and they break into the Capitol and they do all kinds of horrible shit. Mm -hmm. um, so I, um, I kind of ask what it means to be a Patriot. Like I have to assume that at some point bond was one of those, but yeah. now he didn't seem to think much about it. Um, when the cards are down, he's, he's for England, but I introduced this character, his, a bond girl named Gwendolyn Gann, who is a double Oh three. She's kind of taught on the ropes when he first got the gig. And MI six, and she was a true believer. Yeah, someone who who was doing it for Queen and Country. And when when Bond came along, he ins she inspired him that way. Like he mm -hmm. was always very impressed with how she did it for the for the greater good, and was all was all in for 
you know, for uh, for Queen Country and how he he tried to be more like her, whether or not he actually did. And uh, she kind of becomes a mentor to him. So she's not just the girl he's trying to get in the sack. She's somebody who actually teaches him how to be a better double O and how to try to be doing it for the like doing the hard thing for the bigger reason. Mm-hmm. Um, especially now that uh, the, the very nature of warfare, in my view, is becoming increasingly uh, capitalist, is becoming increasingly uh, like the, the increasing reliance globally on uh, on defense contractors. Yeah, um, It's not all just um, governments duking it out. It's like corporations duking it out in some cases. And I, I uh, that became kind of the theme of the thing. Like it's mm-hmm. uh, patriotism versus capitalism. Um, in warfare yeah. and like bond is kind of a you know the old guard that's kind of getting moved out as um you know super soldier stuff is starting to get explored by by commercial entities they're you know pretty soon we're like we're approaching a place where whoever you know people can just kind of kind of buy the win mm-hmm. um with uh by which whichever uh defense contractor they use yeah i'm I'm fascinated hearing you talk about Bond because looking back at, at your career, like you have all these books that are um, such interesting takes on these characters, but you, you constantly end up on like such iconic, big name, important <laughs> characters that are like, have fan bases that are so entrenched in like and and maybe not in a unified idea of what the character is but but fans have such a hardcore idea of what the character is whether it's superman or bond or alien or the hulk like these are these are characters with 40 50 60 80 100 year histories whatever and fans who have a locked in idea of what they are like is that something you like doing going into these big name things and sort of shaking it up a little and, and, and trying to tell stories with them that fit what you, you know, like how much are you trying to fit your ideas into a character and how much are you trying to fit the character, Mm. you know, into your ideas and, and how do you balance that stuff? Um, It's kind of with that, that thing, the the monk thing, Mm -hmm. like just like revering the melody. Yeah. You know, just keeping the theme at the front of your mind. Like I know I have a very clear vision of who Superman is in part because of the guy, uh, to me, it's very similar to the Christopher Reeve kind of vision. Like the, sure. um, those old movies are not perfect, but his interpretation of Superman is in my view. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just try to envision Superman, like the Christopher Reeve Superman in the context of, of newer, more bombastic, darker stories that maybe than we saw in those old, you know, you're not going to hear the doopy, the, the derpy tuba theme for the villain when he walks in, like <laughs> almost like the comic relief, you know, boom, 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 like just, you know, somebody yeah. you don't take seriously. The villains he's facing are like extremely serious and scary as hell. Sure. Mm. Um, but I want to see what Christopher Reeve Superman would do in those cases. Yeah. Right. So, and I, when I, I want to, I want those, uh, like when he, there are these moment, uh, moments in those stories when, um, like the, the, the helicopter thing in the first movie, he grabs Lois Lane, the helicopter, he's like, I've got you. No. And she's like, uh, you've got me. Who's that you? you? Yeah. And he kind of gives her that little smile, but it's not a smile we've seen from other Superman. It's, he's, it's just, kindness like there's yeah, no ego yeah. in it there's not like yeah i'm fucking awesome <laughs> you know or or um and when he's um it's just yeah it's like i'm your friend not, not bad's gonna happen to you it's gonna be okay yeah. kind of a kind yeah. of a smile and then like later even in his 
in his quote unquote aggressive moments when you you know um beats up a trucker <laughs> see that shouldn't have been in that like, <laughs> uh, uh 12 year old me oh. thinks it's the coolest scene in the movie adult me is like what the fuck is happening in this movie? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, one of the a... first cons that ethan and i went to i purchased uh like watercolor painting of superman at the bar in superman 3 which oh. is this little, this little <laughs> right. whiskey glass oh wow so good so good <laughs> yeah brilliant moment chris reeves superman it. he's everybody's friend but he gets revenge like don't get <laughs> And he sometimes he beats up bar. another Christopher Reeve Superman. Sometimes there's a brutal fight in a fucking junkyard where he puts him in a trash too, compactor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dude, what the fuck? I know. That's no, well, I was the, the moment I'm thinking of <laughs> was the one uh-huh. where he's flying outside the window. He's like, "General, you want to step outside?" Yeah, like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that that look where like I can't awesome. let you do this. It's not like you know, like anytime I say anything that's not glowing about Henry Cavill Superman. I get lit up online, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. So if when you see Henry Cavill looking aggressive, he has this like, I'm going to fuck you up kind of look. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a scary um, Superman. Yeah. I mean, part of that is, is that part of that is just the visual identity of those movies. Like Zack yeah. Snyder's a, is a pretty visual storyteller. He just, like, he's got this epic, grandiose sure. appearance. And man, physically, he looks fucking perfect. Yeah. But mm-hmm. his expression is like, like I'm, I'm going to kill you kind of a look that yeah. I just don't want to see. You know, yeah. I want to see it look sure. like I can't let you do this yeah mm-hmm. um so yeah he just uh, the trucker thing like that's you're not gonna inspire yeah it was cool in a in a in a little kid kind of yeah. like yeah good guy wins kind of a thing but it's not inspiring no i mean you know it depends uh, you know i spent a lot of years fighting truckers so to me it actually was <laughs> inspiring but uh, other people are different i guess maybe not you're talking about writing these stories about really heavy concepts that matter to you with these kinds of characters is it is there difficulty when you approach something with a Superman, maybe with a James Bond, and maybe a little bit less so with a Hulk, where they're so archetypal? Um, and especially with Superman, it's like, yeah, like there's a very defined idea of what he would and wouldn't do. Do you find it difficult at all to wring out uh, the intrigue out of a story with a character that is the lead like that in so in such uh, such heavy like? Uh, depthy situations or do you find that just changing the world around them and putting them in those situations that it just kind of works man that's a good question um good question Nathan thank you I appreciate it guys (laughs) yeah I don't know I think it just kind of if you I try to let the character lead the story and not not um They've always I try to put them in like I I don't manipulate the character as much. I got it's again I got so right. keep Superman to the theme. Got to keep him on theme, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, on melody. And um, so instead I manipulate the events around him, right. to, you know, so that he does what he does and, and should do, and that his voice always remains true. You know, right. So I, I guess that's my answer. Like I'm carefully I'm pretty careful how I manipulate the events right. around him so that um, that who he is shines through and that like you know readers that love him you know hear the melody yeah absolutely. And, and, then, and then i just change the harmony around it you know yeah definitely so so you're 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 on hulk now which is a yep. sort of you know it's funny because obviously i think to to the to the civilian to the layman like hulk and superman are sort of make sense together but actually like 
construct like in the actual construct of the books like they're very different characters and <laughs> very different books yeah, um, especially now god damn yeah and <laughs> you you've gone in this way that's that's sort of fascinating with the hulk that i'm intrigued by which is a, a like reverting him back to fully like this is a monster like this is right. this is yeah. a ec style this is a you know a, a comics code style monster um why what why why do that with the hulk what, what do you get from that and like what do you want to be seeing with this book like what do you want to be doing in the hulk honestly it's because that's the version i want to see mm-hmm. it's because i you know they, they all everyone says like write the book you want to read and that's what i'm doing here i i think that i kind of don't want to see hulk the superhero mm-hmm or um, the guy that just kind of gets an adventure like like any other like anybody else would. Um, I want to see. Uh, I just want to see him in that context, man. Yeah. And especially with Nick on the book, with yeah. Nick drawing the book, I'm trying to give him stuff that he can take a seat into. And I mm-hmm. I first found Nick on a book called Viking: The Long Cold Fire. Sure, great mm-hmm. book, yeah. And yeah, great book. Um, Ivan Brandon wrote it, and this is a long time ago. And Nick kind of cringes when he sees it, which I think is funny because it's still—I think it holds yeah, up super great, gorgeous, yeah, yeah. And he did a lot of mixed media on it. Um, and you know, of course, I've been following his work ever since then. And I just—he likes monster shit, yeah. And I just—but I mean, that aside, um, I—I want to see. Well, I think Immortal Hulk and Planet Hulk are probably my favorite runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, of mm-hmm. that book i thought planet hulk was great i thought immortal hulk was incredible immortal hulk was was uh, the kind of book that just sort of changed the whole trajectory of the character sure i think that you know every book after immortal hulk should be at least colored by that direction mm-hmm. it, was, it was just such a great you know such a such a win um and one of the big one of the big uh challenges when i got asked to do it was how do i not just do exactly what those guys did on immortal <laughs> yeah, yeah i don't want to just ape it but it was perfect. So what do you do? And so uh, my answer to that was, um, I kind of thought about why they asked me to do it. I was like, okay, these guys knew what they were doing. When they asked me, they know I put way too much work in background stuff and like world building. And, mm-hmm. you know, I spend 10 times too much on world building and, and folklore and all that stuff. So I'm going to lean into that. So instead of mm-hmm. the, the black science, like dark laboratory kind of take yeah. that, that those guys did, I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to make this a proper, like, American folklore kind of book. I want to see Hulk walking the roads and, and rails of the American South, mm-hmm. like getting in like almost like a Hellboy setup, where yeah. he's just mm-hmm. kind of kind of walking the earth, and this shit just finds him and keeps getting in these <laughs> these these fights and adventures with other other monsters the way that Hellboy does when he's walking around when he does his, his walkabout after after BP, BPRD. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of what we're doing. I just want to see. That's that's the setup that I want to see Hulk in. I want to see him in the context of all the other monsters of the of the universe. Plus, I remember Stan's um, Stan's original some of Stan's original um, um, interviews about the book yeah. and how like they he's like oh we got all these we got all these uh, superhero books let's do something different and he yeah. described trying to go after like an actual monster book yeah mm-hmm. influenced by frankenstein by dr jekyll and mr hyde and those kind of things and then i mean i think the book you know arguably went in more in the superhero direction sure but uh originally it was supposed to be more of a monster thing yeah um, and that first series has such a weird feel to it it's, it's still <laughs> no, so it jumps, unique i know it jumps around a lot yeah. too yeah and then al just leaned so hard into the origins 
of, mm-hmm. of that whole is he man or monster is he both thing like the whole just monster aspect of what the hulk is to such great success even bringing back the mechanic where because originally hulk would change at night night yeah um he brought that back which i thought was cool i'm not doing that here but i um yeah anyway I just, it felt like the truest version of hulk and that's the one i want to do too mm. um yeah i uh i picked it up and and i really was so excited by it and it's 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 funny because you talk about you know like Al's run and obviously that's a super you know gonna go down as a super iconic legendary run on on the book and it was immortal and like anytime I have a friend who jumps on a book after something like that you always hold your breath a little and be like oh you're you're in for but uh, like I was your first issue is so gripping and so engaging and I was just like it it feels like a classic page turner comic in the best way where you're just like oh shit like what is this like the 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 stuff in the tomb and everything is just like it has this amazing horror feel it has this adventure feel and like you're not sure you're on steady ground with it it's just a it's a great first issue and i'm so excited to see what you do with the book and and like where you take the character because you always have this amazing balance in your work of reverence for the source material but also injecting new ideas and and new new themes into the work and so i'm i'm really excited to have that book coming from you and and i mean i guess yeah i i just wanted to say you know like thanks for coming on here and hanging out with us and yeah it is my blast it's like i hope you keep i hope you uh, keep digging hulk there's going to be i'm trying to keep the the arc super short like one issue two issues at a time it's just just like constant jumping on points and that's also going to make i mean Nick is not like a page a day kind of guy. He like sure. he's, he's putting so much love into the page. Yeah. We're gonna have to bring in mm-hmm. fill-in issues, um, yeah. fill-in artists, and Travel Foreman's coming back on to do some, awesome. some stuff. Ugh. And I I want his. I don't want a. I don't want an arc that like, you know, goes between those two guys because they just have such different styles. Yeah, yeah. So when Travel comes on, he's telling a story by himself, and then yeah. he's back to Nick, and then Nick will do his by himself. And I just, that's how I want to keep doing it. So awesome. Yeah. I hope you keep digging it, man yeah yeah i'm i'm very excited and and thanks so much for coming and hanging out with us man it was a blast my pleasure thank you i'll look look forward to doing it again i hope yeah absolutely and that brings us to the end of part two of our discussion with philip kennedy johnson make sure to check out the incredible hulk action comics and everything else he's working on by giving him a follow on twitter at philip k johnson To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week with another wonderful guest. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.